Go ahead and choir. That's, uh, if you're not a musician or not a singer, you don't know how hard it is to sing that syncopation there. Good, good word. Uh, keep your Bibles open, 1 Corinthians chapter uh, uh, 1, if you will, please. We've been on this series that the Lord's just opened my eyes. Sometimes you, you can't see uh, what God is doing, but sometimes he'll give you just a little glimpse into the spiritual world, and you can see things that he is doing from, through his word and through prayer and Holy Spirit. And I began aware of the fact that God so incredibly loves people, all people, uh, of, of all kinds and everywhere in the whole world. God so loves people. He does not want to see anyone to die without him. He wants everyone to come to faith in Jesus Christ. And so he will put roadblocks, obstacles uh, in people's paths to keep them from eternal damnation. And as I began to go into the Word and see what some of these roadblocks were, they just kind of began to jump off the page at me. You see, here's the thing I want you to know. God is not impassive when it comes to a man's salvation. God is not just standing back and watching. Uh, he, he is, he's not neutral. He's not sitting idly by saying, well, maybe one of these days somebody may come to faith in me, and, and, and maybe not. He is actively pursuing you. He is tenaciously coming after and hunting you. He is shadowing you. He is carefully designing things to put in your path that will urge you away from eternal damnation and coming to faith and a love relationship with him. He's passionate about this and incredibly engaged, though you may not always see him in your life. God has made his will abundantly clear in the scriptures. There's two passages. We've read them every week. They should be getting just about saturated into your memory by now. The first one is from 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, where it says, This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. This is what he wants. This is his desire. This is his hope. This is his, his longing, is that all men and women, boys and girls, will come to faith in him. That's God's will. You don't have to wonder what God's will is about this matter. You don't have to wonder what God's will is for your life. Abundantly clear, right out of the Bible, his will is for you to be saved from an eternity of separation from him. Peter puts that in this with a slightly different spin on it in 2 Peter 3.9, when he says that God is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all come to a knowledge, uh, come to repentance. This verse tells us that it is not God's will for anyone to go into eternity apart from him. And so we began to say, okay, God, if this, is, if this is your will, what are some of these roadblocks? The very first one that we came across was the message of the Bible itself. From, from Genesis to Revelation, the Bible stands as a roadblock, keeping anyone from going into eternity apart from him. The message of his love from the oldest times, calling the people into himself. And the purpose of that was that all the nations of the world would be blessed in him. So the message of the Bible, every time you see a Bible, when, when you're in a, in a hotel or whatever you may be, whenever you see a Bible, 
It should be. Stand there in your mind and you understand. This is one way God is saying, here is my love message to you. Here is how much I love you. And here it is written in black and white. The second roadblock that we came across was the prayers of the saints. And we look both in the Bible and in our personal lives. How when brothers and sisters in Christ love us enough, parents, grandparents, spouses, children, to agonize before God, to pray that we would be saved. This is a huge barrier, an obstacle, an obstruction that God is putting in our path, keeping us from wandering a road that's going to lead us into destruction. I want you to know, my friends, in order to make it into eternal hell, you've got, to, you've got to bypass the message of the Bible, and you've got to walk all over the prayers of your family praying for you. We said the third obstacle was the preaching of the gospel. And we realized from the Scriptures that every sermon, every Sunday school lesson, every witness, every time somebody has shared with you what the Bible says about whatever, these are roadblocks Holy Spirit's putting up there to keep you out of an eternity apart from Him. And I am convinced that part of the hell of hell will be every one of those messages and witnesses being replayed in your ear over and over and over again because you'll never be able to say, no one ever told me. No one cared. Then we discovered the roadblock of Holy Spirit. And now the Holy Spirit of God working in and through your conscience is whispering to you that these things are true, that God loves you, that his desire for your heart is for you to come to faith in him and he's pulling and drawing and tugging you towards himself. Today I want to open up yet another roadblock to you. And that is a powerful one. And it is the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. You've heard it sung about, engaged in our Bible reading and our prayer. You know, the cross is probably one of the most recognized symbols known to man. Whether it's a Catholic crucifix or a Maltese cross, you're going to see them just all over the place. You're going to see them on steeples of churches. You're going to see them on the side of the road. You're going to see them in cemeteries. You're going to see them on tattoos. You're going to see them in jewelry. The cross is one of the most recognizable symbols anywhere on planet Earth. And let me, listen to me very carefully. Wherever you see one, understand it's not by accident. It is a Holy Spirit-appointed moment that in seeing that cross, you're reminded of the incredible extent of the love that God has for you. And the depths that he'll go to, to keep you from spending eternity separated from him. I want you to know that. Wherever you see one, in a church like that one, or that one over there, or that one over there. Wherever you see one in that moment. Understand, this is a divine moment that God is reminding you the price he paid for your eternal salvation. And it stands as a roadblock, as an obstacle to keep you out of hell. And with that in mind, I want to reread the passage that Tony read this morning. I asked him to read from the King James Bible because it has the word preaching in it, and that ties into an earlier roadblock. 1 Corinthians 1.18 says, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, 
but unto us which are saved as the power of God. The ESV says, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. It's not just preaching. It's the topic of preaching that stands as a roadblock, and that's the cross of Christ. Will you pray with me? Holy Spirit, I don't have what it takes to tug at anybody's heart. That's your job. I don't have what it takes to convince someone of the truth. That's your job. The role you've called me to is to faithfully preach the cross and let you convict hearts, convince people. Let it be so even today in our sanctuary and through our media team that the message of the cross will be firmly imprinted on lives again today. In the name of our crucified and risen Lord, do we pray. Amen. Picture this scene, if you will, in our, in our community. Uh, we, people love their rivers, and they love to go floating down the rivers. They love kayaking. They love tubing. They love all of these things. Uh, we were in Nashville, Tennessee last week for our Southern Baptist Convention, and we went through the gorge and watching all those hundreds of people uh, in, their, in their canoes and their kayaks and all in the water. Imagine, if you will, here is a man floating down the river. He's, he's in, his, in his big inner tube. Uh, he's got a six-pack in there with him. He's totally enjoying life. He's enjoying what's going on. What he doesn't know, but that you do know, is just down the stream, not far, is a waterfall. And at the bottom of that waterfall are sharp and jagged rocks. And so you begin to shout out to him that, and warn him and try to tell him there's danger ahead. And he ignores you. Throws back another cold one, splashes the water, and keeps enjoying life. And so you, you call at him all the more. You, you throw ropes out there to him. You and try to let him know there's danger coming ahead. And he laughs and he scoffs and he drifts on by. What a sad end to a beautiful sunny day and a wonderful time that he's wanting to have. And yet, this is where we find ourselves in life today. Seeing men and women, boys and girls all around us, enjoying life, absolutely unaware of the fact that days are numbered and that there is an end to all of our lives, no matter how far away it may be or how soon it may be. And that to be prepared is the most important thing we can do. To understand that there is life after this life. There's life after this life. And the question is, where will I spend that eternity? Where will I spend that life? I often think, why would a person refuse a rope like that? Why would somebody refuse a, a, a life preserver like that? Why, why would they do that? If they're hearing a testimony from the bank that there's danger up ahead, and with an impassioned appeal, 
please don't go over the waterfall. Don't be crushed in the rocks below. And there are ropes and everything's flown out there. Why would anyone ignore that? And yet, and yet they do. And Jesus actually explains that to us. He, he explains that to us. He says, you see, men love darkness rather than the light because their deeds are evil. And they don't want to come to the light lest their sin be exposed. And so they'll do everything they can to ignore and reject all of those offers. That's a reality. This is the condemnation, Jesus said, that the light has come into the world, but that men love darkness rather than light. You know, years ago, the Greek philosopher Plato said this, it's easy to forgive a child who is afraid of the dark, but the real tragedy is when men and women are afraid of the light. And therein is truth, therein is wisdom, folks. People don't want God interfering, don't, don't want God to in any way cramp their style, certainly don't want anybody to tell them that their lifestyle may be wrong. And why would I judge my life by an old, archaic book, not understanding that it's the eternal Word of God settled in the heavens for all time and for all eternity? This world thinks that, you know, hey, I'm basically good. I haven't killed anybody. I'm not in trouble with the IRS. I haven't, you know, uh, sabotaged my nation. And, and, and God grades on a curve, and I've done more good than I've done bad in my life. So he's obligated to let me into heaven and give me a pass on hell. That sounds like wonderful modern theology. But it's hogwash. Has no substantiation in reality, and it definitely has no substantiation in this book. Let's talk about the cross. Because the cross is the life preserver. The cross is the means by which God has ordained to keep sinful men and women from spending eternity in hell, rather having their sins forgiven and having heaven as their home. First, what is the message of the cross? The message of the cross is the gospel. In 1 Peter 2, 24, it says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross. Understand this. All of us, without exception, all of us have sinned and fall short of God's glory. What is sin, preacher? What do you mean by that? Sin is an attitude that we have deep in our heart. We're born with it. And it's an attitude that says, I want what I want, and I don't care what anybody says. I don't care what the Bible says. I'm going to get what I want. Now, that attitude is what leads to action. The actions we call sins, but the attitude is sin. And without any exception, each and every person on planet Earth, that is their attitude and that is the results of that attitude. And the Bible says, what we get out of that, the wages of sin is death. Both physical and eternal death. But, 
But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You've got to accept the gift. You've got to accept the gift. Two boys grew up many years ago in the late 1800s, early 1900s, with a very, very firm and even cruel father. The older one was a big strapping lad. He could pull the plow as well as a horse could. The other one was somewhat uh, anemic, was not very strong at all, and he was late to most everything that he did. One day, he was totally late to do what he was supposed to get done that day, and the father who had been drinking went into a fury. And he whipped off his belt. You know that sound? You know that sound? He whipped off his belt, reached the boy's shirt, ripped his shirt open, leaned him against a tree, and drew back for the first lash. And about that time, the big brother said, Daddy, I know I know what he didn't get done, and it was wrong. But you're going to kill him. He took off his shirt, wrapped his arms around his brother and the tree, and he said, Daddy, lay the stripes on me. And so his father did. Lashed and lashed and lashed until he fell down unconscious on the ground. And the little brother ministered to his big brother's stripes. And the little brother looked him in the face and said, You are Jesus to me right now. You are Jesus to me right now. You have borne my punishment that I deserved. You have taken it totally upon yourself. And that's what Jesus did when he died on the cross. He took sins that were not his. He took the punishment for my sins and yours on himself on the cross. To where you and I could have our sin debt paid. But that's not all of the story. He was buried and he rose from the grave three days later so he could give to you eternal life. The life of the ages, the life of God himself flowing through you for all time and all eternity. That's the message of the cross. That's the message of the cross. And to my dying day, That's my sermon. That's what the gospel is all about. But not only that, I want you to know every time you see a cross, I want you to think about how Christ stretched out his arms. He didn't wrap it around you. He didn't wrap it around a tree. He stretched it out on a cross. And he took the beating, and he took the crown of thorns, and he took ultimate execution so that you would not have to. And every time you see a cross, I want you to understand that moment is a divinely appointed moment. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, that's a moment for you to worship, for you to thank God and bless God for what he's done for you. 
and the change in your life. But if you've never asked Christ to be your Lord and Savior, I want you to understand that is a spiritual obstacle, a spiritual blockade, something God is putting in your cross, and, and you're going to have to step over that cross in order to make it into hell. That's the message of the gospel. But now, what is the message of the cross? What does it do? What does it do? It saves souls. Listen to what Paul wrote in Colossians chapter 2. He said, by canceling the record of debt, that's our sins, that stood against us with all of its legal demands, he set it aside by nailing it to the cross. All of my sins, all of the things I did and thought that flowed out of that wickedness that was deep within me, all rolled up in a long, long scroll, taken to the cross, held by a bloody nail, and slammed into the cross, nailed there, because those sins are paid for. I stand before you as a sinner saved by grace, made a saint, not because I'm so good, but because he's very, very, very good. And he took my place. And that message of the cross, the message of the cross for those who receive it, it's the power of God that transforms lives, that changes hearts and minds, and changes eternal outcome too. But for those who don't want to hear it, it's utter foolishness. It's utter blabbery. A preacher, what, what could it possibly have to do with me that a man hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years ago died by criminal execution half a world around from me in a culture that I don't know. What, what business is that of mine whatsoever? What, what does that have to do with me at all? You see, it's foolishness to a mind that is made up and not going to receive it. But let me tell you what the Holy Spirit does and the wonderful thing he does. He begins to unlock that brain. He begins to unlock that mind of yours. He begins to drop the scales from your eyes. And all of a sudden you see there is an eternal dimension to life. That life is not just the 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 years that I live. Life is something that goes on. And I have to think about eternity. And yes, something done by God himself, planned before God, time even began, executed in time, that has an eternal consequence. Yes, that is the gospel. Peter would stand preaching one of the first sermons that was ever preached. And he would say, there is salvation in no one else. There is no other name given among men on planet earth whereby anyone may be saved. Nobody. There's no other name. Only the name of Jesus. Only the cross. 
Jesus put it this way. I'm the one and only truth. That's not logical truth. You don't get to have your truth and I get to have my truth. No. There's one and only truth. One and only way. One and only life. And no man now or ever will come to the Father except through me. Those are the words of Jesus Christ. Now, either he was a liar, or he was stark raving mad, or he was the eternal Son of God speaking truth into your heart. Those are the only three options you got. Every time you see a cross, when you look at this pulpit and you see the cross, when you see it hanging from somebody's necklace, when you see a crossroad sign going home, every time you see a cross, it's Holy Spirit's appointment right then in that moment for you to understand the incredible love of God and His desire to keep you out of eternal hell. That's what that cross stands for. So what is the response? What is our response to the message of the cross? You will have a response. You will have a response today. You'll make up your mind today, at least for today, what you're to do. You, you're, not, you're not allowed the privilege of not having any response. Oh, well, no, no. There are two and only two possibilities. You're either going to receive what he has as truth in your life, or you're going to reject what he offers you today. And I don't know when or if you'll ever get the opportunity to check that, take that offer again. You can choose to reject it. You can choose to say, okay, I, I've heard you, preacher. I've heard what you said. I understand the cross. That's where Jesus died. He died for my sins. He rose again so I could have eternal life. He wants me to come to him. He loves me, and he wants to have a love relationship with me. No! want it. I don't buy it. You can do that. God is a gentleman. He's not going to force his way on you. He's not going to drag you kicking and screaming into heaven. But he will allow you to march stupidly into hell. Because that's your choice. But I want you to listen to this passage. The writer of Hebrews chapter 10, verse 29. He writes, how much worse, how much sterner or heavier punishment do you suppose a person will be judged to deserve who has spurned and trampled underfoot the Son of God and has considered the covenant blood by which he was consecrated common and unhallowed and profaned it and insulted and outraged the Holy Spirit of God who by grace offers salvation. How much sore punishment? Let me tell you, it's bad enough to reject the cross, but when you do, you double the hellishness of hell. You double it. Why would you want to do that? 
One of the roadblocks that God's putting in your way is the message of His eternal Son, that God loves you and died for you, and He begs you not to die in your sins. Are you trampling the message of the cross underfoot? Are you saying, I want to be king of my own castle? I want to do life my own way. I will not surrender to you. God was going to allow you to do that. But someday, death will strike. It doesn't just strike old folks. It strikes young folks too. The hearse is going to back up to your door. Your body is going to be carried away. And there will be no more chances like this. Every time you see a cross, it's God's reminder to you, I love you too much to allow you to run headlong into eternity without me. I'll do all I can without violating your freedom of choice to keep you out of hell. But if you're steadfastly determined to go, I have to let you. I have to let you. But the option is to bring all of that ugliness to the Lord. That's what I did. God, I dare to believe that you know all of my sinful attitudes. You know all of the things that I have done. You know every one of them. And I'm embarrassed. I don't want to remember them anymore. You know, part of the hell of hell is you're going to remember everything that you ever did. Everything you ever did that broke the heart of God. I don't want to remember that anymore. God says, bring it to me. There's a great exchange. Give me your burden. Give me your shame. Give me all of that. Let me have it and take it upon myself. Let me give you my righteousness. Let me give you my eternal life. I'll die for you so you can live with me. That's the message of the cross. That's the story of the cross. But let me tell you something. When God does that, when God does that, God says, you know what? I'm going to take all of that shame, all of that horror, all of the things that you've done, and I'm going to bury it in the depths of the ocean. And I I'm not going to remember it ever again. That, that, the, the Bible says that in, in Isaiah 43, 25, I will remember your sins no more. In Jeremiah 31, 34, for I will forgive your iniquity and their sins, and I will remember them no more. In Hebrews 8, 12, I will remember their sins no more. Wouldn't it be great for not only you not to have to remember them, but that God doesn't even remember them? In the publication called The Lutheran Witness, a story is told about a young nun that was having visions 
of Christ and having conversations with him. The bishop called her in and says, we have to investigate things like this. I hope you understand that. She said, yes. So he said, here's what I want to ask you. The next time you have a conversation with Christ, ask him what my last sin was. He told the nun to do this. Next time you have a conversation with Christ, ask him what the bishop, my last sin was. A few weeks later, he had another meeting with the young lady. Have you been having conversations with Jesus? Yes, she said. Have you asked him the question? She said, yes. Did he answer you? Yes. What did Christ say was my last sin? And she said, he said, I don't remember. It's buried. Wouldn't you like to know that not only do you not have to remember them anymore, God won't even remember them anymore. That's how thoroughly the cross deals with our sins. In the next few moments, you'll have an opportunity to surrender all of that to the Lord. To take the cross as the final roadblock, the one that finally worked to keep you out of hell. God loves you so much. It's not his will for you to perish. God loves you so much. He wants to save you and bring you to himself. Will you bow your heads? And let's do business with God. Holy Spirit, it's not my job to change people's minds or to break their hearts over their sin. That's your job. My job is just simply to preach the cross as passionately as I know how. Weeping with you for lost men and women, boys and girls. Because we can see what's at the end. We can see the waterfall. We can see the eternal abyss. And they don't realize it. They won't see it. They're refusing and rejecting it. And, and, and they're, they're walking over the prayers of their loved ones. They're walking over the message of the Bible. They're walking over every sermon they've ever heard. They're refusing to hear Holy Spirit's voice. And now some of them will step on the cross of Christ to get away from you, Lord, and to race into oblivion. But some today will see this roadblock and they'll cry out to you like this and say, Oh God, how could I have been so blind? I confess my sins to you. My attitude and actions, I dare to believe that you died on the cross to take my sins on yourself and you rose again so that I would have eternal life. Come into my heart. Oh, God, come into my heart. Cleanse me. Forgive me. Make me a brand new person in you. I want you to be the boss, the king, the ruler in my life. I give my life to you. 
save me. Make heaven my home. Father, I know that you've never, ever refused that kind of prayer. And whether it was prayed out loud or mumbled quietly or said in the depths of the heart, you're not going to refuse it this morning either. In the next few moments. May this gentleman, may that young lady, may this teenager, this child, who's made the decision today to pray with me, Lord, do you encourage them to come and, and take Tony or Eric by the hand and just say, I prayed with the preacher. And let us rejoice with them of their new life in Christ. The angels rejoice in heaven. We need to rejoice on earth. Maybe there's some watching today and you've made that decision. Will you call us or text us or email us so we can rejoice with you and encourage you in the Lord? Others may want to come to the altar and just pray. Just pour out their hearts for friends and loved ones and family that don't know you yet. Holy Spirit, will you give us that freedom? We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you stand?